This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 527 This episode was pre-recorded. Can the comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Let's all take our seats. It's Crisis 303, Future Armageddon. This is how I got my wife to read comics. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, and you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Now we are taping this in advance. DC had been doing annual crossover events since 1986's Crisis on Infinite Earths. And in 1991, they added a second one for each year involving their annuals, special issues of certain titles, which were normally throwaway issues. That year brought us the Armageddon 2001 event involving a two-issue limited series wrapping around a set of DC annuals, then followed by two miniseries. Many DC events would, in the long term, have no impact on overall continuity. Let's see how this one did. Armageddon 2001, number one, Dark Time. Written by Archie Goodwin, penciled by Dan Jurgens, inked by Dick Giordano, lettered by Albert de Guzman, colored by Anthony Tolan, and edited by Dennis O'Neill. We begin with a vague shape, with narration about time. I don't have time. Time has me. Cut to a shot of a figure in shadow. Superman? Saving someone from a disaster. A close-up of the hand changes from Superman to Green Lantern to Captain Atom, then to a full shot of Batman, before the next panel showing a new hero with a red and yellow costume and a head of fire, but not Firestorm. Another cut to a fight between Superman and an armored Batman, Shades of the Dark Knight Returns, finally broken up by Wonder Woman. They join up with a large group of heroes from the Justice League, Teen Titan, and others, brought together to fight Darkseid. They appear to be winning before a black energy being kills them all. It was the year 2001, the end of an era, the start of another. One that would stretch out to grip a world. My world, my time. Cut to a city in 2030 with rounded vehicles that would not stick out today where we meet Matthew Ryder, who's down on the world. Statues of an armored figure are everywhere who we later learn is named Monarch. The Econocore is doing the world's business. The world has become a police state. All information about the world pre-2001 is banned. Matthew goes to a disc shop where the proprietor beckons him to a back room with forbidden material, including information on heroes. Cut back to the hand, helping someone back out of the rubble, with the hand always changing. Matthew is called to family dinner. His daughter is a peacemaker who employ preemptives to root out antisocial behavior before it happens. Now he's back to the statues, who they say have cameras as eyes, so that Monarch in a satellite HQ can always watch over them. There are rumors that Monarch has reduced cities to craters in fits of rage. 
He watches as the peacemakers attack a preemptive, almost killing a small girl in the process, if not for Matthew leaping in and saving her. Of course, his daughter was running the mission, and Matthew is brought in for questioning. He learns the assassinated terrorist was the disc shopkeeper. Matthew decides to use an R&D project at his company, a time machine, to find a hero that could ensure Monarch would never exist. Unfortunately, the time machine seems to kill every participant. He gets nowhere via official channels to use it, so he attacks a Monarch statue, which gets the main man's attention. Up on his satellite, Monarch does some classic pontificating. Look at it, Earth. Except from this view, it will perhaps never be perfect, yet it is closer now than ever before. I take credit for that, Matthew Ryder, and I take any step necessary to see that that accomplishment cannot be threatened. Matthew explains that the other time travel subjects died because they didn't have the will, the strength of purpose, the inner direction to survive the process, which of course he has. After more pontificating, Monarch agrees, using Matthew's love of his family as an assurance that he won't wipe out this whole continuity. He puts this to the test in a virtual world where both of them are fighting as giants and pontificating through a city. We get several pages of narration about pain as Matthew is subjected to time travel. He exits the warp in the current day as Wave Rider, the guy with flaming hair who's not Firestorm. He turns himself into a cop who stops a crook in Gotham so he can see the man's history, which of course intersects with Batman. His goal, to find the steps that lead to Monarch. He is convinced that one of the current heroes becomes Monarch and must be stopped. The final panels involve the big heroes at the time, Hawkman, Flash, GL, the Trinity, Guy Gardner, Nightwing, Starfire, Martian Manhunter, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Mr. Miracle, Dove, Hawk, Cyborg, Captain Atom, Power Girl with her 90s yellow and white costume, Rocket Red, Metamorpho, and the Will Payton Starman. Whew, that's a lot of exposition and world building. We now swing into the annuals, each of which show a possible 2001 of that hero or group as Wave Rider looks for clues. Superman Annual Number 3 by Jurgens and Abel. Superman, in current times, foils a prison break, which is followed by Wave Rider doing multiple pages of exposition to get us up to speed. He catches up to Superman unseen as Superman meets Lois on the roof of the Daily Planet. He touches his hand to the Man of Steel's chest, which allows him to follow Cal's time stream into the future. A fight with Brainiac, followed by his wedding to Lois. Then an attempt to hold Metropolis becomes deadly as a nuclear bomb takes out the city. Clark is devastated and it changes him. Lois is gone and in grief he marries Lana. Superman rids the world of nuclear weapons except the one he controls, Shades of Superman, The Quest for Peace. Cut to 2001. Superman with a larger cape reminiscent of Doctor Strange takes out a nuclear sub while not killing its crew to stop their weapons. The president brings together his advisors on next steps. We learn seven men did die in the attack, or is that a spin? The Russians and Chinese are in the same boat. He's about to call a press conference when Superman arrives to tell him to stand down. One of the president's advisors has an idea. Cut to Gotham, where Mayor Gordon kicks off the bat signal. He gives Bats a paper with an address where he meets the president, who asks him to bring in the Man of Steel. After a long argument, Bruce asks how, assuming he can actually stop Cal, will Superman be held? The president refers to a permanent solution. Bats agrees to look into the story of dead soldiers. 
Things are getting serious for Superman. He took from the rich by giving x-ray equipment from a Boston hospital to one in Vietnam that needed it. He had to use a Wyoming tunnel to get home after a new Air Force jet started tracking him. Ma Kent is still around but has Alzheimer's. Clark and Lana argue that Superman has gone too far. He can't bring back his friends. A visitor at the front door agrees. It's Bruce Wayne. At first, Clark is happy to see him until he learns why he's there. Bruce begs Clark to take it easy for a while until things calm down, but nothing doing. I wanted so hard for people to like me, now I just want them to do as they're told. Superman, now in costume, leaves via another tunnel telling Mrs. Kent that she will be safe there. He's now seeing Superman and Clark as two separate people. Meanwhile, a man in Washington, the Tim Drake Robin, breaks into a records room and finds evidence that sailors did die. Entering a tunnel, Superman is attacked by Booster Gold, Fire, and Martian Manhunter. The first two are really a joke versus the Man of Steel, but John is his equal in strength. Cal moves John into the way of Fire's blasts, and he dies of a heart attack based on his fear of fire. Cal is nonplussed, telling the others, Maybe John's death will teach you to leave me alone as he leaves. He returns to the farm and flies Lana and Ma Kent to the fortress. Tim gives Bruce the news and brings out his secret weapon, the piece of kryptonite Superman gave him ten years ago. Clark is now fully disassociated from Superman, telling Lana that Superman did something. Bruce contacts him at the fortress, asking him to meet in Gotham. Batman, now in armor a la Dark Knight Returns, confronts Superman in his deeds and uses the K-ring on him, and after multiple pages of fighting and Tim's help, Superman is dead. Wave Rider, having seen all this, now knows that Superman won't be Monarch. So maybe it's Batman? Batman Annual Number 15 from Grant and Fern. Bruce is getting older and it's harder to be Batman. At the end of a brawl, he takes the hand of a victim. It's Wave Rider in disguise. We get yet another exposition, then cut to 2001. The Joker, now declared sane, kicks off a talk show. Cut to Tim Drake telling Bruce he is quitting. There has to be another way, and I'm going to find it. This is followed by shots of various villains being killed, and then Batman accidentally kills Penguin and is called in for questioning. Cut to the caped crusaders fighting Killer Croc, with the bad guy winning and unmasking them. But Bruce is a blonde? It's all part of Joker's new TV show. Prisoners at Blackgate grouse about how Killer Croc is cashing in, then talk about how Batman will fry in hell. He's in a cell there. A judge sentenced him to death, although he could have just escaped. Gordon and his wife Sarah visit him in jail, and he mentions how Mayor Toombs enacted the death penalty, never thinking it would be used against Batman. A quick pause. Remember, Gordon was mayor in the Superman annual. So Wave Rider is seeing possible futures. Doesn't this make his quest moot? Anyway. Selina has found Penguin's cronies hiding out in a tenement. She's looking for evidence to free Bruce, and it's literally the 11th hour. Drake, now a political candidate, visits Bruce in jail. I can't let it happen like this. Joker calls to ask Batman on his show to plead his case. A figure in a fedora and red cape takes out a guard. Joker's latest show involves gassing the audience. Oh, it's temporary. I wouldn't hurt a fly. Plus a hollow celebrity plugging his new work. He references the Gulf Oil War. This came out in 1991 when the first Gulf War had just occurred. Cut to Tim Drake at Wayne Manor trying to get past an Alfred bot only to meet up with the real one. 
back to the prison, where the Vidora guy turns out to be Anarchy, a vigilante of the early 90s. Bruce tells him not to break him out, but does ask for a favor. Catwoman takes out Killer Croc, who admits that Joker is the real killer. Duh. Anarchy and Robin follow up each other's attempts to free Bruce, or do they? Joker's show goes multiple pages, including a computer mock-up of his death in the electric chair, before Bats unmasks himself. It's anarchy, of course, while Bruce and Tim got away. In Joker's speech, he mentioned Penguin's last words, which were never made public. Selina runs into Joker's mutant guards, who take her out, but not before saying goodbye to Bruce. Used up one life, too many. The Dark Knight tracks down the Joker, who gasses him and tells the whole story. Joker got Penguin to blackmail doctors who declared him sane, then set up Penguin. Bruce just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Joker goes to impale Batman with a sword, only to stick it in a light socket and electrocute himself. And Batman laughs. Back to current day, as Wave Rider apologizes to Batman, giving yet more exposition, and they each go off to their personal missions. Justice League America Annual Number 5 by Giffen and DeMatteis. Unlike the last two annuals, this one is played more for comedy. Of course, this is in the Bwahaha Justice League era. Wave Rider arrives at the JLI's New York Embassy and slips in as Captain Adam, using this as an opportunity to touch each member and learn their possible futures. Martian Manhunter has become a Himalayan guru, telling a visitor that the meaning of life is an Oreo cookie. Guy Gardner has become a cult leader, but changes his tune after getting conked on the head. Blue Beetle becomes a pitchman who winds up losing the rights to his own hero name. He's now the stupendous Silverfish. Ice becomes a suburban cat lady who runs to comfort future Guy, and they wind up getting together instead. Fire is sitting with Oberon at Ice's wedding, where he asks her for her hand in marriage, only to have Ted Cord confront her. Her law firm took over his hero name. Booster is back at the Future Space Museum after getting caught in a scam with Ted, only to find out how Ted saved him, so he goes back in time to save him. Mr. Miracle is running a Miracle Squad show, while Barda is stuck at home with three kids. Oberon tells Scott to break out Ted, only to be talked out of it by Barda. General Glory, a Captain America clone, is visited in the hospital by Max Lord, who was in the hospital at that point, which tells us he'll be back. Max wants him to lead a new Justice League, and despite his advanced age, he agrees, and an older JLI group is brought back together. Wave Rider is convinced none of them will become Monarch, so he visits Max at the hospital. In the future, Max is hanging out at Kui Kui Kui. You had to be there. Booster arrives in his time travel device. Max and Booster leave, and Max takes over Fire's mind, making her sell her law firm to him. Guy and Ice read about it in the paper, and... Max's condition at the hospital worsens. Could Wave Rider be the cause? Hawk and Dove, annual number two by Kessel and Kessel. To bring you up to speed, Hawk and Dove were originally brothers, Hank and Don Hall, who gained superpowers, and were at one point Teen Titans. Hawk used aggression, Dove used reason. At this point in the continuity, Dove is a woman named Dawn Granger, who received the original Dove's power when he died in the crisis. Anyway... Wave Rider suspects that Hawk, with all his anger, will become Monarch. He touches Hawk, and we're off to the future, where Hawk is being questioned by the peacemaker of the Monarch era. He's one of them. He breaks out and attacks a Monarch statue, which, as we've already determined, is the best way to get Monarch out in the open. 
After Hawk becomes a huge monster, they fight it out and Monarch wins. Oh, well. Maybe Dove could be the key. Another touch and she touches him as well. How? She tells him she's an agent of the Lords of Order and so cannot be Monarch. He wants proof, so it's off to 2001 again. She is now part of an alien alliance called the Circle who send her off to confront Monarch, so it's not her. Dove and Waverider then attack each other in the time stream, and we leap into another future where Dove is at Hawk's monument when her, their daughter, runs in. Cut to Monarch and Dove, now fighting for the daughter. But now Hank is alive again? I'm confused. Yet another jump takes us to the now adult daughter who has become Unity, a fusion of Hawk and Dove. Sheesh. Hawk World Annual Number 2 by Ostrander and Quapis. We're not even going to explain where the Hawks are in continuity at this point. That would take a separate series of episodes to cover. Just try to keep up. The Hawks, Katar and Shayera, are fighting a random 90s villain in a city. This goes on for quite a while. Most of these annuals used a current day battle as an excuse to get you to the actual future story. Later, an ambassador, who they live with, turns out to be Wave Rider in disguise. Make with a touch! In 2001, Qatar is a Chicago lobbyist married to a woman running for a congressional seat. They fight, and Qatar goes out for a drink, which happens to be Shayera's bar. There's a lot of discussion of Chicago politics, both old and new. He's worried Earth is becoming another hawk world, corrupt and falling apart. Sounds like an excuse to unretire Hawkman. A religious woman in the burbs is incensed and goes to a ruined church to find Attila, a robot with her father's soul inside, I guess. In any case, Katar apparently killed the father and they both want revenge now that he's back. The robot then kills the woman and goes off to fight. Fight, 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 pontificate, fight, fight, fight. Attila's son arrives and distracts him at a critical point. We then get a choose-your-own-adventure bit. A. Attila wins and becomes the monarch. B. Katar takes him into space where he blows up. Again, it's hard to dip your toe into hawk continuity without being totally confused. Will Wave Rider discover the true identity of Monarch? Will Mark and Mindy ever get to the end of this event? Will you still subscribe? For the answers to these and other questions, tune in for our next Crisis episode. Sorry, no who's on the cover this week because we are taping in advance. Announcer bot. How can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.